You're listening to The Togetherings, hosted by the Alaska Humanities Forum. The Togetherings are recorded conversations with Alaskans from all walks of life, sharing their perspectives on big questions that touch us all. Each series shares a common theme that is explored across episodes. Hi everyone, welcome back to The Togetherings, hosted by the Alaska Humanities Forum. This week is Racism in Alaska, What is Our Capacity to Change? In our first episode today, we're looking at racism, stories from Alaskans. Support for this series comes from GCI. GCI believes in connecting with and making a lasting impact in communities across Alaska. Together, we make Alaska stronger. My co-host this week is Teresa Lyons of YWCA Alaska. Our guests are going to help us open up and deepen the conversation around today's theme of racism stories from Alaskans. Teresa, could you introduce our guest today? Sure, we have Jim LaBelle Sr. with us today. He was born and raised in Fairbanks and is a tribal member of the native village of Port Graham and a shareholder in the Chugach Alaska Corporation. He is a Nupiak with family roots in Kotzebue and has been married to his wife, Susan, for 50 years. Jim is a boarding school survivor, a Navy veteran, and has served on many boards and commissions, including the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition. He recently joined UAA as an assistant professor in the College of Business and Public Policy. Jim, you know, as you know, there's, there's a lot of conversations happening around the state this summer in the wake of the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. And if we could, I'd, I'd like to start by asking you kind of just where do you find yourself in this moment? How are you doing? How are you feeling this summer? I've been uh, keeping track of what's been going on with George Floyd and other events across the lower 48. And, and of course, uh, that's getting a lot of, um, a lot of coverage. Stuff that happens up in Alaska is a little more, because of our remoteness and how spread out we are as a state, we don't often get the kind of uh, coverage I think we we should have about what happens to indigenous people, for example. I can still remember my mom telling me when she was in Nome back in the 40s that there was often signage in various stores and places that said no dogs or natives allowed. And that kind of stuck with me over the years. Thanks to Elizabeth Karadovich, we were able to be one of the first in the nation to outlaw uh, these kind of Jim Crow laws. And uh, however, the racism became a little more subtle. It started morphing into things like uh, real estate law, which finally got uh, taken care of as well back in the 60s. But it also went into what I would call institutional racism. It means to me that we have various state and federal laws that are making it very restrictive for indigenous people to, to traditionally hunt, fish, and gather as they have been doing for thousands and thousands of years. And it's been kind of a slow mission creep, if you will, to use that term, because before contact, Native people in the state or in this country had access to 100% of all of the, the fishing game. But if you were to look at the percentage of, of fish that are allowed, that have been taken by subsistence people, 
Today, that only makes up maybe 3% if we're lucky, with 97% of the annual catch going to commercial sports sports fishermen. So that's an example of what I mean about institutional racism. Um, It kind of permeates into the laws, and it's difficult to really, you know, uh, get enough um, momentum going with our legislature who are very protective of their own rights, if you will, to natural resources. So I guess I could start off by saying there is a lot of that. I, I, I hope that kind of addresses some of the things you're looking for. Yeah, Jim, that's a powerful way to start us off. Is there, you know, our theme today is is stories. And I wondered if there's a particular story, you know, you mentioned your mom's recollections of Gnome, for example. Is there a story that's personal for you that immediately comes to mind when you think about this topic, racism in Alaska? Yeah, I like to tell one story about my uh, when I first started uh, teaching at the university uh, in 2003 at UAA. I was on my way to my office on the campus, and I was, uh, I would say, I was accosted by a, a white person keeping stride with me and looking at me and, and looking at my computer and my laptop that I was, and I was in a hurry, so I got the very distinct impression that maybe she thought I didn't belong there or that I was stealing something from the from the university. And I thought, wow, what a what a way to be addressed on your first day of class. And that's that's one thing that has stood out for me. And of course, as a kid growing up in Fairbanks and Sitka and Wrangell, these small places, they were always tailing us, if you will, in the stores. They would kind of just follow us around. I, I was really, I, at first I didn't pay much attention, but as I got a little older and more aware, I was thinking, why am I being followed like that? And especially when I noticed that non-natives were not being followed themselves. So I've always had this extra awareness about my presence in in stores, and I'm always kind of like vigilant and looking to see if this is going to happen again. So I don't know, maybe it was born out of that, those early experiences. Thank you, Jim, for sharing your story. This is Teresa. And as you were talking, it reminded me, I am um, a longtime Alaskan. My family moved here as I was uh, entering high school. And so I grew up in the South where racism and my experience of racism was very overt. Even as a young child, I remember uh, the segregation and the busing of students uh, from their communities when there was integration happening in Louisiana and Mississippi. Um, But when I came to Alaska in 1975, uh, I was struck by how racism didn't seem quite as overt to me. Um, And then I remember distinctly, as you were sharing, I thought about the Alaska Native people was the first group of folks that I saw outside of the South, because, you know, my first airplane ride was to Alaska. And so the Alaska Native people were the first people I saw being treated the way I had seen Black people treated my entire life in the South. And so uh, across my time here, I have come across folks and, you know, Alaskans do well in some Uh, in some communities and people can prosper here. And as I mentioned, I found racism somewhat uh, less overt in Alaska compared to the South. And I spent my summers going back and forth from Alaska to the South. 
Um, and so across this time, I've noticed there's just been this empowering around Alaska Native people, the messaging about um, their culture and their language. And I have really been really proud of how different that seems to me from 1975 compared to today. Um, so in your experience here in Alaska, um, when I say that racism is not as overt, is that a statement you would agree with as an Alaska Native, or did you have a different perspective in your time here in the state? I'd, I'd say you're correct. It is uh, not as overt. It is a lot more subtle, but it kind of manifests itself in other strange ways, like, you know, I, I can't think of a better better illustration than to acknowledge that uh, there was a period of time in Nome, Alaska, for example, over a, a uh, 10 or 15 year period where from 20 or 30 murdered women disappeared. They, they were murdered and, and or they disappeared. And yet there didn't seem to be a very much of an outcry about what was going on. This is an example of what happens in one community. There are people in that community that are working very hard to try to create some balance up there. There's a lot of tension between the, the Native people that that live in the town as well as the non-Natives who live there. And I guess just little things that you see, it kind of adds up. For example, just remember the days when we used to be able to freely go to restaurants? I can remember my wife and I uh, going into a restaurant and, and not being served as quickly as others who came in later after us. And, of course, when we finally got their attention, it, it seemed like we were annoyed that we had the audacity to say, hey, we want to get uh, service. So it's just, a, uh, you know, I guess there's that old phrase, there's a thousand little cuts that Native people have experienced almost daily, and it's these are the kind of subtleties that I'm kind of referring to. Right. And uh, it certainly impacts our culture. And it's very easy, in my opinion, for, for us to become blinded. Um, unless it directly impacts us, we might think that it's not a problem. Um, and if we're not sharing the stories of all Alaskans, then we don't recognize that people are having these experiences in our community. Um, and so it really is important for us to have conversations and dialogues like we're having today on this togetherings so that Alaskans know that there are experiences that are happening within our state that are not commonplace for everyone. Um, and every story and every person in our state matters. And so in these conversations, I'm also interested in learning, you know, who should be talking about racism in Alaska? And you mentioned... Uh, about the systems of racism, which we know are put in place by people. And, you know, what is this culture that we have of making people the other group and somehow minimizing them? And that's not the state we want Alaska to be. That's really not how we view ourselves. But it does take all of us to take an active part. So in your opinion, you know, who should be talking about racism in our state? And who should be talking about dismantling racism in Alaska? Well, there's two organizations that come to mind immediately. One is First Alaskan Institute. They have a very good track record of going to organizations, other organizations and communities and having a, a dialogue and training over different kinds of racism in ways in which uh, those can be overcome. And I know they're still doing 
really good work. Uh, Liz Medicine Co., for example, IU is another. I've had the opportunity to, to sit in on some of their training, and it's just uh, an eye-opener. I wish more people would take advantage of that offering. The other organization is Bridge Builders. It's a local nonprofit organization here in town. It's it got formed back in the early 90s by the mayor, Rick Maestrom, and Malcolm Roberts, Cindy Roberts, and there were some local black church ministers that got together and started having these dialogues about how we can create an organization that ultimately respects one another, respects our differences, our cultures, our food, our tradition. And out of that dialogue and discussion came this wonderful organization called Bridge Builders. Although I'm not personally involved much as I used to be, I think it's an excellent organization and it's, and it's open to all people of different cultures to come and get to know one another and participate in the, the different events that are scheduled throughout the year. Hi, um, this is Indra. I'm, I'm with Out North Radio. Um, I'm also with um, some of you know the Latin groups in town, and we have our own radio show, and, and and we do a lot of also work around racism. And when I, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying that we need leaders and institutions to help us move the needle and educate people on a really wide scale. But I also feel that when it comes to who should be talking about racism, it should be everybody. Because it's not just at an institutional level, although that is very prominent and in systemic, but it's on a day-to-day with your neighbors, with your kids, with your friends. I mean, I know a ton of people who will, you know, tell me things like, um, you know, look Mexican, which, you know, I know it's not true, but it's their way of trying to tell me that, um, everything is okay or like that they like me or that, that I'm good. And, um, and I think that we need to talk about racism every single day in the world that we live in because that's how we change. You know, we change from all directions, you know, not just the systemic and the institutional, but also those institutions don't change unless we change. Does that resonate with you, Jim? What does that make you think of? Yes, that, those are wonderful comments, and I totally agree that it can also begin at home and in our, our own neck of the woods, our community, and cruising around the state, if you will. What, what I also would like to bring up, and it's just something that some of you are aware of and some may not be, is, is a phrase we, I like to call, or I heard was called internalized oppression. That is a phrase that basically is where indigenous people or people of color start turning on themselves because it is something that we have learned from the from the European American culture separating and, and using various Jim Crow laws or federal estate regulations to marginalize us. Unfortunately it's something that we I, I see among our own people is uh, we're starting to judge people by standards we basically have learned from the outside world. Jim, does a particular example come to mind when you're saying, for example, you know, um, judging our, judging yourselves by standards created by other people? Is there an example that comes to mind there? Yeah, it's, um, there's a lot of little things like I've seen people judge people by the church they go to, and there may be an established church that only the certain elites 
in our community go to, and if you're not a part of that church, you are then kind of ostracized and made fun of. Also, there's the color of our skin. Sometimes our own Native people, not all of them, but some will judge others by how dark they are or darker than themselves are, or the way they speak English. If they speak village English, of course, they're, they're kind of made fun of as well. I think when I was growing up as a kid, I probably played that game myself. Jim, in your, your last comment, you said, um, as a kid, maybe you played that game yourself. What did you mean by that? Well, that was making fun of other Native kids who may not have spoken very good English. That's what I meant. We would mimic them sometimes, that kind of thing. Thank you, Jim. You know, your I'm, comment I'm 73 of, oh. years old now, so I, I have the benefit of <laughs> kind of looking back and seeing some of my own behavior wasn't all that great when I was a teenager, if you will. These are all things that I had to unlearn. But thank you, Jim. Your comment about internalized oppression um, makes me think about just how uh, racism has impacted every thread of our fabric in society in this country. It makes me think about how the miseducation of Americans, in this case Alaskans, uh, about our history, um, as we think about the way we have been conditioned in this country, in this state, um, to think a certain way, not only about other groups, but about our very own group, which brings us back to that term internalized oppression. When we are taking on the the opinion and the values of those that oppress us and assigning it to people in our own group as if that is truth about them. Um, and I think about how even people that benefit in our society, white Americans, from racism, it still is an injustice when you think about how they too have to be miseducated in order for systems of racism to be propped up in our society. And so I'd be interested in, in hearing from you uh, as we have this conversation, like what do you think about is a good, well, let me ask you this first. The, the, and you've mentioned that you've lived a long time um, and have the benefit of wisdom. How have you been able to navigate racism and have you arrived at a place where you've overcome it? I'm very interested in you sharing with us the story about racism um, from your experience. Okay, well, first of all, um, I'm the second black-owned insurance agency in this state, and I was the first for hmm, about 10 years before the other person probably came along. And um, So um, I didn't think of anything different. I do what I do. I work and um, just take care of my business, and that's what I was doing. And along the way, I realized that I wasn't really welcomed in this industry. Um, um, I was 27 years old when I first uh, purchased my office, so that was odd. Maybe it, it is odd. But I noticed um, my personality. I have a really big personality, and I just kind of go with the flow with things and try to make the best of it. And after some years, I start realizing that when I didn't go with the flow or I um, 
sat back and kind of watched, it looked a little different. So I know one example, um, people would come in all the time and they'd always assume that the Caucasian people that worked here were the owners. So I thought, okay, well, I'm just not going to say anything. So a few times I've asked, well, why do you think this person is the owner? And they would just say, well, I just think she is. I just think she is. And I just couldn't figure out why. Now, my customer service is on point, so I knew it wasn't that. So sometimes it would be um, maybe the style of the person. I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I would I would have issues with people thinking I wasn't the owner. And then one time I wore an Obama shirt to work. Um, I was off that day, and I came in to do something, and a customer was there. And she said, um, well, I don't trust that man. He doesn't speak correctly. Um, I don't know why you're wearing that shirt. And so I said, well, I like the shirt. I didn't want to get political with her. But she had been my customer for 10 years, and that was her last day. She left me. She went somewhere else. So I don't know if that was political, um, if that was racial. Um, I also get people, um, right now, I have... I happen to have an all-black staff. This is the first time in 23 years I've had an all-black staff. I've always had Asians. Um, I've had LGBT. I've had um, Caucasian. I've had disabled people. I've had all types of every types of persons that to work for me. But since I've had my all-black staff, when I get African-American people that come in or black people that come in, they look and they're like, oh, gosh. They look around and they're like, this is so cool when I get... Um, other races in, usually of uh, the Caucasian race, they're looking around and they're, they're they're looking concerned and they're like, well, what's going on here? And the first thing they say is, is that your daughter? Well, there's one, two, three. So are all three of them my daughter? <laughs> um, no, that's not my daughter. Um, so we go into places every day where it's all one race and never do I think, is it a family own business or are those their children and it's not even that they come at me that way I have an office in Georgia and it's more family owned but the black people that see it they think it's just a family owned and it is my brother works in there but up here they don't say that they say is that your daughter they look around like what's going on and um, the customers that we currently have they even look around like what's going on but for 23 years I've had a very multicultural staff, I just happen to have one now that's all black. So that wasn't by design. Um, so it just kind of happened that way. Right. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I'm so glad we got you on today. Uh, you mentioned that you are, you know, pretty much uh, take care of business and keep things moving uh, while you're having all these experiences of racism in your in your industry. And so what have you done that keeps you focused and moving? How do you navigate racism in the insurance industry here in Alaska? The way I navigate it is I work harder. I, I make sure that everything in my office is clean and together and organized. I make sure my staff are properly dressed, um, well-spoken to the customers, that they're standing up and they're greeting. Um, I make sure that when we're sitting at the table, basically, that we're, we're included. So it sometimes bothers me that I feel like I have to do a little bit more to just be regular, mm -hmm. but that's the world we live in, and I refuse to give up. I refuse to allow someone else to 
make decisions for me or to, I won't complain. Um, so I do what I got to do. And that's some of the things that I have to do, make sure my staff's well-educated in the field that, they're, that we're in. And I take us to the table. I take us to the events. We show up. We may be the only ones there that look like us, but we show up and we should be there. Thank you, Tracy. We had asked our, our other guest this question, and I'll ask you, um, who do you think should be talking about racism or systemic racism here in Alaska? What groups should be included in that dialogue? All groups, because it affects all people, everyone here. There's so many people that are afraid to talk about it, and that fear is a problem in itself. So it breaks down communication. You get people in here, and they're scared to refer to you or as a certain, they don't know if you want to be black or African-American, just say, I'm black, sometimes I say African-American, sometimes I don't know which one, because I'm going off of what society's telling me. So I think everyone should have these conversations, everyone's involved, in order to understand, we have to communicate, without the communication, there's no understanding, and then there's a huge breakdown, and that's where we are right now. Thank you. Um, Jim, I'm going to bring you back into the conversation. We, I asked the question earlier about how do you navigate racism, Jim, across your history and, and, and long profession. Um, you started out talking about your experience um, as a UAA student and how you um, were made to feel like perhaps you didn't belong in that space. And now you are actually going to be going back there teaching. Um, you know, what comes to mind for you that you can share with our audience today about how you have just navigated racism um, in your journey? Use some of these moments as a teaching moment where I try to uh, subordinate my, my feelings to teach a greater lesson and, uh, and do it in a way that is non-threatening. And I use a lot of humor, so I, I use it that way to get through some of these uh, difficult times. I've heard you speak before, Jim, um, with, with educators, for example, who are building relationships with their students from different cultural or racial backgrounds. And I, I know that humor, um, the way that you use it, is, is particularly um, profound for folks who are listening. And is that something that came naturally to you to do? I mean, has that always been a part of how you talk about difficult things? Or is that something you've developed um, as an adult? when you're talking about these hard issues with people? Well, it's, it's uh, I don't know, it's, it's some kind of uh, chemistry that kind of diffuses any sense of fear or anger. But in some other ways, it opens up communication in a non-threatening way. I, I don't know, I just gravitated to that to that style, I guess, and it seems to work for me. I want to remind our listeners quickly, you're listening to KONR LP Anchorage. These are the Togetherings, a conversation series hosted live by the Alaska Humanities Forum. Support for this series is from GCI. GCI believes in connecting with and making a lasting impact in communities across Alaska. Together, we make Alaska stronger. And on that note, Tracy, if I may, um, we had asked Jim this earlier in the broadcast as well, but... There is so much happening this summer, um, and I would love to hear from you kind of where you find yourself in this moment um, and, and how, how has this summer been for you 
seeing protests and gatherings and more conversations? Ooh, the summer for me in Alaska has been positive. Seeing it in the other states have not been positive, but I do recognize that um, it, it feels to me that people are angry enough that they're ready for a change, and unfortunately, some of the things are happening, but these are it, this is very emotional, and a lot of lives are being lost, and they should not be. So I think people are angry enough that everyone is seeing it now. No one's wanting to cover it up or hide it or try to act like they're not. So I believe with all of this, there is change going to come. Um, it's making people more aware. Um, again, I don't agree with the violence, but I don't get to pick how this goes. So unfortunately, that comes with it. So um, as it's just making people more aware. Um, I've noticed a difference in my communication, and I've noticed a difference in how others communicate with me. I've noticed a difference in our customers. And it just seems to me, since all this has happened, people of other races have been kinder. Um, um, they, they speak. They come up. They talk. They, um, we had a family in our neighborhood come to our house with their children, and they had five kids. It was a, a husband and wife. They brought us cookies, and they said, black lives do matter. And so my husband and I were kind of like, whoa. But the neat thing was that they came and that they they felt comfortable enough to do so, but I don't think they would have before. And the reason why I say that, because they've lived by me for eight years. <laughs> so why did they come now? Because of this. And I'm, I welcomed them. And... Um, I encouraged it, and that they showed their children um, what they what they showed their children is when they were speaking to us. My husband had gone to BYU, and one of their children had gone there, and there were some other similarities. So what they showed their children were they look different, we look different, but we're really not different. We're people, and we have a lot of similarities, a lot of things in common. And if we could just step out there and not be afraid to introduce ourselves or to talk to people that don't look like us or you'd be surprised. And so that, that, that was nice. So this summer has been actually very awake, um, very, it's been a very awakening and uh, it's been nice to me, even though we've had some not nice things happening. It's the start of something, something good. Tracy, thank you for sharing that. Um, we are coming up on the end of our hour together here, and we wanted to make sure to have space for both Jim and Tracy to share a closing thought. Um, this could be something on your mind that you haven't gotten a chance to say it or, or just something you'd like folks to know. Um, Jim, could we start with you? Is there a closing thought you'd share with us? I uh, tend to look at a lot of issues that we have in Alaska from uh, what's that favorite phrase, uh, the 30,000-foot level. And uh, one of the things that I, I hark, I'm harping back at is, is the institutional racism that still occurs among Alaska Native people. And um, it's not going to go away that easy. It's going to take a while. And I'm referencing 
two things. One is we only make up maybe 20% of the state's population. But in the criminal justice system, we are at roughly 40% of the criminal justice system. And that's not only in uh, prison, but also on probation and parole. And if take it a step further, if you look at the number of children in the foster care system in Alaska, roughly 60% of all Alaska Native children in the foster care system are Alaska Native uh, children. Those two things alone just cry out for trying to address some of these issues uh, on a maybe on a more grander scale than than I think we've been used to. I just wanted to share that as a, I, I know it's kind of a downer, but at the same time, I, I couldn't pass up this opportunity. It's important. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for sharing that. Tracy, how about a closing thought from you? Okay, well, I would encourage people to vote. Um, that is so important. People complain, but they don't vote. So um, I encourage that. I encourage people to start speaking to other people and that don't look like them. If you see someone in the store and you're looking at them, I get people to stare at me all the time. It's just, and I say hi and they turn away. So don't be that person. Say hi back. You just, just don't be afraid of people. Just relax a little bit. Um, learn. Go into Google and Google a question you might have for another minority group or another group, another racial group, rather, another culture, um, maybe one that you're around and you have some questions and you may feel afraid to do it by asking them. Google it and then go to approach the person and ask them. So let's just start with communicating and speaking to people and not being afraid to do that. I think it just start there, really small. Tracy Parrish and Jim LaBelle Sr., thank you both very much for being with us today. I also want to thank our listeners um, and to the forum and YWCA Alaska. Teresa Lyons, thank you so much. Thank you, Amanda. It was a pleasure being here. Support for this Togethering series comes from GCI. They believe in connecting with and making a lasting impact in communities across Alaska. And together, we can make Alaska stronger. Thank you, now. Thank you, Jim and Tracy. Thank you. And thank you.